Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today, special guest, is Micah Solomon. Micah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Henry. I'm going to uh, be chatting with Micah about customer service. He's an expert as I'll share here in his bio in a moment, I'll highlight, but Micah is a customer service expert, and he's here today to share his vast experience with helping companies deliver great customer service and what does that mean. So he's going to share, as we always try to do on this show, actionable tips and advice, including insights from his upcoming book, Can Your Customer Service Do This? So the book, you can pre-order it now. It's a great book that I've had a chance to preview. So when you're listening to this episode, it'll be available for pre-order, or it might be that it's available already. So just go to Amazon and look for Can Your Customer Service Do This by Micah Solomon. If you want to receive more information about the Howard business, including the show notes page for this episode, we'll have all of the links that we talk about, including where to get a hold of Micah, and also to continue supporting my show and receive workshop discounts and access to my monthly group coaching sessions. Just consider joining my Patreon membership group, and you can find out more about that at thehowwithbusiness.com. I encourage you also to subscribe wherever you're listening to the show so you don't miss any episodes. Let me tell you more about Micah. Micah Solomon is one of the world's leading experts specializing exclusively in customer service, company culture also, hospitality, and customer experiences. He's been named the world's number one customer service turnaround expert by Inc. Magazine. He's been cited by the Financial Post as the new guru of customer service excellence. We're going to find out what that means and why. And as I mentioned, his book, his book is coming out now called Can Your Customer Service Do This? is an exciting book that really is very actionable and easy to read with a lot of information about how to do this in our small business. Uh, Micah and his team have worked with such notable clients as Audi, Merck, Walmart, Microsoft, Operation Smile, the Cleveland Clinic, the NFL Players Association, MoMA, the Wharton School of Business, and so on. Lots of different organizations that you would recognize. We're going to take those principles and apply them here today to us as small business owners. Um, he's a business leader and entrepreneur himself. Micah built his own company into a market leader in the manufacturing and independent entertainment field. And he's also an early investor in the technology behind Apple's Siri. Very interesting. Micah lives in Seattle, in the Seattle, Washington area with his family, Micah Solomon. Once again, welcome to the show. What a great intro. And man, you have a great podcast voice. <laughs> Thank you. That's what, that's one of the reasons I do this. Not because of any knowledge transfer, but just it just sounds good. So I can yeah, put people to sleep uh... easily. <laughs> Oh, come on. No, you know, my <laughs> wife, my wife will like, a. she's less particular. She's very particular about the content, but not so much about the voice. So she's like, this one's really interesting, Micah. You won't, you, you'll hate it because of, of how they sound. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate that. All right. Let's, I, I'm always fascinated by the story, how you got to where you are today. So I wanted to start there. So you tell me, tell me the story of your early, you know, out of university, what did you go do and how did you end up with this focus on customer service? So there's two stories. Both of them are true. Okay. I was going to say, you're going to make me pick here, which one is true. <laughs> one of them is probably more press release worthy than the other. So, uh, so the official story, and it is true, is I built from my basement, and then it became in moved onto a spare bedroom in my house as well. I built a manufacturing company that became uh, one of the biggest in my field, and we did that not because our widgets were any built to a higher tolerance, or they were no better or worse than the competition. They were fine. But what always distinguished us was our customer service. And it allowed us to do what you really want to be able to do in your small business, which is it kept us from being a commodity. It allowed us to command a premium. It made our existing customers more uh, flexible if we had a minor foible. Uh, they sometimes would even uh, forgive us if we had a more, more than minor foible. And it made them open to our brand extension. So that's what you want from a loyal customer. And we did it via an exceptional customer experience and great customer service. So all of that is true. 
<laughs> the the other story, which is equally true, is that maybe I was born this way, and maybe some of you were born this way as well as just an especially particular person. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't sure this is, was always true, uh, but I was thinking back not too long ago, and I remembered this incident when I was all of about 11 years old, and I, I saw a note that my parents had accidentally left out from my camp counselors after the first summer away at sleepaway camp. And I saw this briefly, so I can't be sure this is verbatim, but this is how <laughs> I remember Remember the note. It said, uh, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Solomon, it has been our rigorous pleasure to have your son Micah at summer camp this summer. We are used to common types of complaints from campers like, Hello, Mudda, hello, Fada. You know, it rains too much. The food is terrible. But Micahs were far more advanced in their specificity. They were more <laughs> like the orange juice doesn't pair well with the sloppy joes in the mess hall. The two uh, whistles on the waterfront aren't in tune with each other and so forth. So we have enjoyed having Micah and we look forward to hearing how much you enjoy him during the <laughs> off season. <laughs> <laughs> were were your parents that way? Did did you did you did they model that behavior for you? I don't think my parents, but I will tell you, my grandmother, my grandmother was a trip. Yeah, and so <laughs> and so that and I, I'm similarly, and I'm I'm sure I got it from my father because he was hypercritical of things, especially service. But but that's from an early age. You were sensitive to that. You were tuned into that with how people did things and why it mattered. Yeah. That's a very nice way of putting it. Now, what I <laughs> what I have learned. So, one of the most fun things I do is uh, my team and I we will mystery shop one of our clients um, before at the start of a customer service transformation initiative, and so I will be able to see the current state of their uh, service. Uh, what I have decided is that now that I do that professionally. I'm not going to complain ever with anyone else. Uh, so my theory is that I'll only complain if you pay me. So uh, I, I was when I when I write an actual memoir, and there is there are a bunch of anecdotes from uh, my work in this book. But when I write an actual memoir, I've decided I'm going to call it "Paid to Complain." <laughs> but then my wife said real quickly, "Yeah, but the subtitle has to be, but my wife listens for free." <laughs> Yeah, except for at home, yeah. <laughs> so the book that we were referring to, can your customer service do this? Uh, who is it for in your mind? Who did you write it for? It's for anyone who wants to have a competitive advantage uh, that they may not currently have and who is considering as a way to do that, improving their customer service. You have found, and as I have I, but but the reason I'm asking this question, I'll get to here in a moment, that that as you articulated in the case of your experience with your manufacturing business, that I think in most cases, that level of service that you provide can well be your differentiator, right? Yes. Have you seen that that's the case across the board? I mean, that, 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 that there, there aren't too many businesses you have found where that isn't the case? Uh, there may be some, but they don't hire me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They don't hire me. So, I mean, so here is, this is both a joke and the truth. I might get called by I don't know, Delta airlines or uh, Swiss air or something, but I'm not waiting by the phone for spirit airlines to call. And right. that's because they figured out another way to make a buck. Right. That's right. Uh, right. But the companies that call me tend to have already experienced the, the value of, uh, good customer service, and they want to start providing exceptional customer service. And you also talk about in the book what you call anticipatory customer experiences. Can, can you explain and how that builds loyalty, but can you explain what you mean by anticipatory customer experience? So the world is growing more and more commoditized, and most of us think our businesses are absolutely unique. But unfortunately, that tends to not be true. So... You're, you do a good job for your customer and you're only still on the playing field, right? They're very fickle and they'll leave you for a lower price or they'll leave you for a slightly more convenient location. 
or they'll leave you because they just forgot about you and they went to another vendor. I mean, I don't know if you've seen what's happening on Amazon, but there are all these new pretend brands that are just made up by Chinese companies and they, they, they all look like each other. And they also look like uh, more well-established brands as well. So some customers are very fickle this way. Then there are other brands that truly have created an exceptional experience. There's one um, on Amazon, exclusively sells on Amazon, as far as I know, called Pluggable with one G. And they actually have loyal customers, even though they're basically a third-party vendor on Amazon. So perfectly all right, customer service will only get you so far. It's when you truly distinguish yourself that customers start to remember you, become engaged, become loyal, and even start to sing your praises, as I just did with Pluggable uh, right. to others. So how do you do that? Well, Henry, it's what you just mentioned, anticipatory customer service. So this is when not only are you answering the questions they ask and fulfilling the de desires they express to you, but you're also thinking ahead and anticipating the questions they should have been asking you, but they maybe don't even know enough about your business to ask. And you are solving for the desires they have that they haven't expressed. Sometimes your best customers are the ones who, and I know this is hard for us to believe, but there are customers out there who don't want to be a bother. They would rather leave right. than say that's anything right. bad. And that's a scary yeah, they situation. Don't, they don't want a confrontation. They don't want to be asked about it. They'll just take their business elsewhere. Exactly. So can you give me an example of this, uh, maybe in a hospitality example, an example of how a business anticipates these customer needs? Can you give me an example? So it needs to start with uh, a and letting letting your employees know that you want this, that they're not just they're not just trouble shooters, they're not just problem answerers, they're not just seat fillers. And then once you've done that, you have all sorts of um, opportunities. Uh, one that I experienced uh, at a a Great Ritz Carlton, which is called uh, Dove Mountain. It's in uh, Arizona in the Sonoran Desert. So right before I had stayed there, there was a family and they had a little kid and the little kid had a Thomas the Tank engine. And if you've had little kids, especially not only, but especially little boys, Thomas the Tank engine is basically like a doll that anyone of any gender feels comfortable having. And of course, kids of any gender feel comfortable having a doll. So let me let me restate that even very backwards parents are okay with boys <laughs> boys. <laughs> this this doll so thomas has his own personality uh the other uh characters have their own personalities so when this little ba barely even a toddler lost his thomas on the uh campus of dove mountain which is a very large campus uh it of course was only discovered right before they were going to leave to catch their plane. So the mom found the first Ritz-Carlton employee that she could find and told them what was going on. And the question that she asked was, can you help me find Thomas? The answer they gave her was absolutely. Yes. Uh, go, go catch your flight. Don't worry about it. Then they turned to each other as two young men. They turned to each other. They said, we're never going to be able to find Thomas. <laughs> so they answered the question she really meant, which was, can you solve this problem for me? Right. And so they started out solving it by telling the mommy that she could reassure her son that Thomas was going to be found. Yeah, Thomas wasn't really Agreed. lost. Yeah. And then they answered the other part, which was, and this is the Ritz-Carlton, so every employee is empowered to do these things and not worry about what it costs. So they got someone to cover their shift. They drove to the nearest uh, toy store. They bought a new Thomas that was an absolute dead ringer for the one who had disappeared. They came back, and a few days later, by Federal Express, this new Thomas, uh, but without the wrapping that would have given it away, came addressed to the boy and it said dear mikey or whatever his name was uh i'm sorry if i gave you a scare i wasn't actually lost i enjoyed my time at the ritz carlton so much that <laughs> i wanted to experience a few more things and so there are pictures of uh thomas out with an 
like a lizard, but the lizard looks so much bigger than him. And Amazing. working in behind the scenes in the uh, kitchen with the chef's hat on, uh, helping to wrap the uh, the tableware in the napkin. And uh, so that was it. So now the mom has been singing uh, Ritz Carlton's praises on social. And of course, that's the only place their kid will let them go on vacation now. So that's how, supposed, that's how it's supposed to work out. That's how it's supposed to work at that level. And there's no doubt. It's funny when you said that, I was smiling because I similarly had an experience. This was years ago when my daughter was a, a toddler. She was still in diapers, in fact. And we went to the Four Seasons in Maui. And when nice. we got there, and, and and maybe this isn't necessarily an example, but when we got there, the bedding, so they knew we had a child, so they had a crib for us. But it wasn't just a crib. It was a crib like you would have at home instead of those kind of steel cage ones. That oh, you nice. Yeah, in yeah. Hotels. yeah. And it had the bumpers that happened to be, this I believe was just coincidental. It was Winnie the Pooh theme, which is what we happen to have at home. And there was a diaper genie. So for those of you who have had kids and had to deal with diapers, you know how wonderful that is to, to control that. And those things were so, in my opinion, anticipatory to the experience. And with the key word that you brought up is what I have always found, Micah, that comes into play here is, are those staff members in, empowered to deliver this type of service? How old is your daughter now? Well, she's 24 okay. now. So this was 20 plus years, 23 okay, years ago, 22. Yeah. So if any parents with little kids are listening, um, you can't do the bumpers anymore. That's you. You can't. You can't use those in a crib anymore. But at that time, twenty years exactly. ago, it was it was recommended. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good safety caution point. I mean, I'll give you another example. Uh, the uh, the her pacifiers had gotten commingled with stuff, and they were no longer sanitary. So my wife went to the front desk sheepishly and said, "Can you help me with this?" And the oh. answer was, "Yes, of course. We will get them sanitized and bring them back to the room for you." Now, I can't imagine that that's a request they get very often, but it goes to your point of the way that they have been trained and empower is to, for most things, as long as it's legal or within you know their ethical boundaries, right. the answer is yes, right? The answer is yes. So the challenge is this, Micah. How does a small business owner who has limited number of employees and they're stretched thin already and they want to do these things, but don't necessarily have the capacity to go to that extent. In other words, they they can't have their employees uh, spending X number of hours on this one customer problem. I think if you're very small, you probably do have the time. I think the problem is usually once you start growing and you worry that treating customers that way is not going to scale. But I say, don't worry about it scaling. In fact, if you're on a Zoom call and you're not paying any attention, the best way to get through that business Zoom call is every, I think, 12 minutes, you sound really thoughtful and you say, hmm, but will that scale? And you can always get people talking <laughs> for another 20 minutes about how it won't really scale. But I think if you're doing that, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, I, I think you do it until you're at the point where giving this exceptional customer service has become a problem. And once you get to that point, it's a good problem to have. And you need to find out ways to make your systems more efficient. The other thing is you don't have to do this every single time. Uh, right. You can wow a customer once and they will remember it for a long time. There's not always time to give what you could call wow customer service. Some customers today in particular are too much in a hurry to be wowed. They just want you to get down to the facts and let them move on. Right. It, just to one more question on that scenario, should, would the right approach have been for those employees to check with their supervisor and manager to get guidance on what they should do and to what extent to take it? I would say only if it was safety related. Um, okay. That's the, that's the real caveat on this. I mean, when a customer asks something like, um, and I have seen this happen, I'm afraid, could, uh, it's okay if we prop open the safety lock gate on, on the swimming pool because we're doing the load in for my kid's party, right? Mm -hmm. So the answer there has to be, sorry, no. Mm -hmm. And you can say it nice, but it has to be a no. But a younger employee, less, let's say a less um, confident employee might think absolutely I should say yes. But um, that would be maybe where you want to check with a supervisor. Otherwise, it's really important to not check with the supervisor. And let me tell you why in a context that... Uh, small businesses can relate to. 
if you go into a restaurant, if you're treating yourself, you've worked 320 days in a row and you're treating yourself to go out to dinner on that th 321st day, and there's something you don't like about your entree. And you say to the wait waiter or the waitress, we used to call them the waitrons, <laughs> waitrons. You say to the waiter, you can't do that anymore because they might actually be a robot, right? But we used to call ourselves wait waitrons. Uh, it's not to my taste. And the waiter says, oh, well, uh, what's wrong with it? And then they say, oh, well, I'll need to check with someone about that. Now, if you've been in the food and beverage industry, you know that they are going to end up replacing that entree. It's it's going to happen, right? Right. But if if it only happens after they go back and they check with the chef, and the chef yells at them and says, "Well, you know, they shouldn't have ordered blah blah blah," but you know, customers, what can you do with them? Um, and so, five minutes later, you get the yes that you wanted. It's a really different experience from if they say, "Oh, absolutely, I'll I'll bring you something different." Mm -hmm. I think that at the heart of this, what I have found, Micah, is that the businesses that don't do this well see the customer as the enemy to some extent. They are worried about being taken advantage of. They feel like people are going to steal from them because one person has, perhaps, let's say. And that's kind of what drives this fear then that then permeates. They don't trust the employees. Nobody trusts anybody. And that's kind of a downward spiral. That's that's what I've observed. What What are your thoughts? So I had a call the other day and it was exactly that. It was um, a business that was thinking of using me and they were very, very nice, but they got on the phone and the one gentleman, the one gentleman got it. And he's like, I, I want you to train our people to give exceptional customer service. But his boss was also on the call and he said, I need you to train our employees to make sure no customer takes advantage of us and gets anything other than what another customer would get because that's not fair. And I was like, guys, I can only do one or the other of these two things. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and that's totally true. And that's especially true if you started a business. I remember when I started my business, and this was a little long time ago, I got a bad check. So then the decision is, am I going to stop taking checks? And then I decided no, because that really hurts me and it hurts all the other customers who are uh, you know, good check writing people. It's funny you mentioned that when I, uh, or my first business back in 1991, when Dallas, Texas was a pizza, pizza franchise. And back then in, in Dallas, for those of you who lived during that time, everybody paid with check, everybody, everywhere. It was just oh. a common thing. I mean, that was just the way people paid. So of course, bounce checks were an issue. And my, my partner at the time got obsessed initially with these bounce checks. You know, he was taking it personally that people were stealing from us. And the way I got him to get this perspective that you're talking about, Mike, is I, I showed it to him as a percentage of, of sales and it was less than 1%, right? So that's your, to your point that sometimes we can get as business owners, we can get into this defensive posture and let one bad situation compound into thinking that everybody's against us. And that's just not the case. Exactly. And I think that if you concentrate on the opportunities rather than the risks, uh, you will go a lot farther. Now, there, there are exceptions. There are different businesses that have such flexible, let's say, return policies. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. there are mattress companies that have a one-year uh, return policy. Now, my experience is that that is actually working out for these companies, but I mm -hmm. could see that Absolutely. they that they change their mind. I mean, we have this great local company here, REI, that uh, was like, you can return anything anytime. But there were a lot of people who were using them as what did people say? It was so rude. They were like rental equipment incorporated because they would take this stuff or returned equipment incorporated. They would go out, they would abuse it, they would have a great camping weekend, and then they would bring it back. So if this is happening, then um, you do have a different situation, but that's right. You know, but don't I mean? But REI grew themselves by being so lenient for decades before they decided to change it a little bit. Or LL Bean, right? Same thing. They yeah. they grew a century, I think, and then they started to uh, clamp down just a little bit. That's right. Yeah. No. Exactly. You don't. It's not that we're saying let the customer take it. Let the customers at large take advantage of you. What we're saying is don't let one or two bad uh, examples cause you to make a system-wide policy or a, a, a store-wide policy that, that hurts your customer service. 
This is Henry Lopez with a brief break from this episode to share a special offer from our new show sponsor, Relay. Relay is an online banking and money management platform for small business. As a small business owner, you need banking that's truly built for your small business. No more fees, no minimum balances, no more bookkeeping problems come tax season, and no more branch visits to complete basic banking tasks. Now you can take control of your money with Relay, an online banking and money management platform that puts you in complete control of your cash flow. First, there are no account fees, no overdraft fees and no minimum balances, which means you get to keep more of your hard-earned money. And Relay is the official banking partner for Profit First, so you can set up multiple checking and savings accounts and automate their percentage-based allocations using smart transfer rules. Relay also allows you to make unlimited payments via ACH, wires, or checks, earn interest on every spare dollar with Relay savings accounts, provide secure read-only access to your accountant and bookkeeper, and speed up bookkeeping with reliable bank feeds that sync directly into QuickBooks Online and Zero. Best of all, it takes less than 10 minutes to apply online and it's absolutely free. And as a special offer to the How With Business listeners, sign up for Relay using the link on the show notes page for this episode, and you'll also get $50 added to your account once you fund your new account. You can find the link to the show notes page in the description for this episode. Relay customer deposits are FDIC insured through their partner bank, Thread Bank, member FDIC. Please see the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com for more details. You also talk about the gold touch customer service method, and maybe we've been touching on it, but would you introduce what you mean by the gold touch customer service method? Absolutely. So a couple of the examples you and I have been throwing back also could be an example of gold touch. So okay. this is this is something that five-star hotels do, and they don't talk about it a lot, uh, but they do it, and it's just wonderful. And it is the idea that you always have a chance to provide what's either a tell extra or a do extra. So a tell extra is to answer more than the question that was asked. And the do extra is to do more than what was requested. So an easy tell extra would be someone asks, let's say we're back at the Ritz-Carlton Dove Mountain, and they have this uh, bistro, uh, which is famous, or wants to be famous, let's say, for its milkshake, milkshakes, right? At this point, I think it's famous, but it had to get famous somehow. So you ask the bellman or the doorman uh, or the doorwoman or the doortron, uh, how to get to the bistro. And they say, well, absolutely. And they they make sure you, you get there. But they also say, and while you're there, uh, mm. if you want to try one of the milkshakes, the mint chocolate chip one is my favorite. So that's yeah. a tell extra. Or uh, another tell extra that's more serious, it's not that serious, but it's more serious, is uh, let's say someone's coming in applying for a job. And potential employees are also, in a sense, our customers, right? In a right. sense, because... They sure. go out to the community and they say, well, I didn't get this job, but man, I wish I had, right? Or mm -hmm. good, thank goodness I didn't get this job because they ghosted me, right? You want the, you want the first. So, so this potential employee um, asks, well, when does your office open? Because I want to make sure to get there in time. And you say, well, our office is open at 8.15 in the morning. That would be the literal answer. But you could also say, our office is open at 8.15 you'll want to use the bank of elevators at the end because we have this, you know, those newfangled systems that everyone hates on the elevators. We have one of those. And uh, that is the bank that, that will get you to our floor. Or you could say, mm -hmm. we open at 8.15, be sure to bring your ID because the, 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 because we actually have a very diligent, you know, this is very rare. We have a very diligent sure. security person and uh, he does actually check them. And the first time I came to, into work, uh, I neglected that and uh, it, it, it set me back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So you're anticipating their needs mm -hmm. there, the, what they're going to experience instead of letting them figure it out on their own. I love that. The Four Seasons, you ex you experienced that. Uh, yeah. They not only gave you a crib, but they gave you a crib that felt like at home. It didn't feel like exactly. it was from uh, <laughs> Crims. Yeah, from the prison. Um, right. The milkshake experience, going back to that, I suspect that those employees have, have been able to partake of those milkshakes so they can actually share first person how great it is, right? They, he really, he or she really does have a favorite, I suspect, because that's something that even if you tried to script that, it wouldn't be genuine. People would stop doing it, but they probably do get 
to partake of milkshakes that they enjoy. Absolutely, they do. And uh, that's a good point. Sometimes you will encounter someone on a phone, uh, like a, one of these catalog companies, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm using that pillow right now. You know, they're not. So it, it can't. <laughs> that's right. Authenticity it needs to be genuine. Be yes. It can be faked, but more more likely than not, it's more effective if it's genuine is what I've found. More likely, though, we got to admit, you know, in L.A., a lot of these people are unemployed actors and uh, <laughs> unemployed actors are actors nonetheless. So they might be able to pull it off. Right. <laughs> That's right. But in our but the way I want us to think about it is in our small businesses, we should have the products by and large, the product and services that we offer, our employees, our representatives, especially the people who touch the customer or the prospective client should be well-versed in that product and have used it if at all possible. Yeah. So there is this book called the E-Myth, E-M-Y-T-H. I actually prefer the first version rather than the E-Myth Revisited. So do I, but but I can't find it. Yeah, it's really hard to find. So, uh, but either way, the idea of this book is that, and it's literally one idea, but it's it's spelled out so well that it, it is very memorable. And the idea is that we all start businesses as artisans. Uh, we get into businesses not because it was very logical one to go into. By and large, we do it because this is something we have done ourselves as artists or what. Like the manufacturing company that I mentioned, it's related to music. And I am actually a musician. So that's how businesses start. But then as you grow, uh, you, you can't be doing all the work yourself. So as far as that applies to customer service, you need to have other people who are also well-versed in the uh, experience. So there's this great uh, catalog retailer, and now, of course, it's mostly online, called Sweetwater, just like it sounds. A huge vendor of musical instruments, recording Hmm. studio uh, equipment, marching band instruments. And most everyone they employ there is a part-time musician or a video professional and so forth because it just makes it work better, like you were saying. Absolutely. It goes back to the RI example. Most of the people that work there are outdoor enthusiasts themselves, right? If not all of them, I think. Exactly. And if you're not, by the way, keep a lid on it. Don't don't you hate going to a restaurant that you're like, <laughs> what? you're like, you know, you know exactly what they say. Like, what is your most delicious steak today? And they're like, well, yeah. I'm a ve- well, I'm a vegan. Oh, I get that. <laughs> wow, that shuts that right down. <laughs> it's it's funny you mentioned that, Mike. I walked out of a restaurant here recently, and this was only one of the reasons. There was nobody there. It's kind of creepy. But I there's an Italian restaurant, mind you. I asked her, "What's in your antipasto salad?" Okay, she couldn't. She couldn't tell me. She couldn't. Tell me. She had no idea. She okay, had to yell back to the kitchen, "Hey, what's in the antipasto salad?" And the guy back there kind of yelled out a few things. I'm thinking. If you don't know what's in your antipasto salad and you can't sell me on it, you know, I've kind of lost my enthusiasm for ordering it. And for that matter, anything on the menu. Can I tell you the worst customer? Now, there is not one worst customer service I've ever had, but one that happened not too long ago. And not everyone, when I tell this story, understands why this is so bad. But Henri, I think you will. So (laughs) I I was at a restaurant that was, um, let's say, had the name on the marquee of one of the most famous chefs in America. Now, I don't think the chef actually comes there very often because it's kind of a spinoff right. of their, right, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting there with my family. I asked them what one ingredient that's highlighted on the menu is. Later on, I found out it was a kind of mushroom or something. But mm. the waiter says, and I quote, I don't know. And I never I never saw him again. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. So there's several things wrong with it. Number the, the <laughs> fact that I mean they have a complicated menu. So the fact that he didn't know, that's okay. It's not okay in your right. antipasto exactly. example, no, but that's yeah. okay. But this is an opportunity right here. This is an opportunity Absolutely. to to go back, ask chef, have chef come to the table and fawn all over us and say, you know, well, you stumped our 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 staff. That doesn't happen very often. And here's mm-hmm. it's something that we foraged recently. You know, go on like that. What a huge opportunity, missed opportunity that was, yeah. But it turned into an opportunity for us now to talk about it, at least. That's right. Okay, let's. Uh, we've talked about some some of the negatives here, but but I want to just one more question related to how, as you call it, re- do customer service recovery when I have an angry customer. Uh, so what are your some tips there further that you can share on how to deal with that? We've all experienced that in our businesses 
and, and how do we turn that around? What are your thoughts there? I only say to check out the book because I spend many pages on this. This is called Service Recovery. First of all, let's talk about the upside. So there's a customer on the phone or in front of you, and they're saying those dreaded words every business owner is so scared of. I'll never, even if you fix this for me, I'll never use your business again, right? So you're like, well, why bother even fixing it? So the reality is that studies show that if you do successfully turn around a situation like this, your success will be such that the customer will probably be or is more likely to become truly loyal than if this problem hadn't happened in the first place. Now, it's a it's a weak correlation, so you don't want to go to the extent of introducing problems into your processes. They will happen, they will happen on their own. But when when a, you are in count when you encounter one, don't panic, don't think this is the end of the world. Think this is an opportunity. Now, why would this why would this, uh, it's called the service recovery paradox. Why would this be true? Well, science hasn't proven why, but here's my idea. It's it's that you have shown to your customer that you are more than a fair weather friend, right? Uh, if everything went perfectly, then you're kind of like every other vendor in a sense. But if something went wrong and you solved it for them and maybe did a little more than solved it for them, suddenly you really are uh, on the same team as them. Yeah. So that's the service recovery paradox. And that's why it is a great opportunity to solve these issues. So how do you do it? Well, you need what I call a service recovery framework. And the one that I'm known for is based loosely on what the Ritz-Carlton hotel company does, but I've widened it so it works in more context. And it's what I call my mama method. Now, why is it called my mama method? Because I, I should call it our mama method because the first book, <laughs> it's hiding under here. The first book I wrote, it was co-written with uh, an Italian gentleman named Leonardo Inculari. And we were like, well, how do we get people to have the right attitude? And he said, well, let's introduce them to my mom who's Italian. And her attitude would be, if you, if you were a little kid and you fell on the sidewalk, she'd be like, oh, my poor Bambino, what a terrible wound. Come in, I'll give you a Band-Aid and you can have a lollipop. And if you worked with, if, if you worked with, if you had kids, you realize that most kids will respond to this by being like, "Oh, ma, it's not that bad. Can I go out and play?" But if you're all like more like a lawyer with them, you're like, "Yeah, eh, doesn't look so bad." Yeah, Why you did this you? to yourself. Uh, there's nothing we can. We're not responsible. You, this was as you were walking out of the business. You know, we had nothing to do with it. You know, exactly. So if you're you a get defensive kid, right away, yeah, yeah. If you're a little kid or a customer, you're going to push back so that you really prove to the company that you have been harmed. So if our uh, model for this is a, a loving parent, then all we need are the steps of the framework. And they spell mama. And my promise here is that if you learn this framework and you practice it, then the next time one of these really upset, really unhappy, maybe even obnoxious customers starts yelling at you, you won't feel that you need to fall on the floor in a fetal position and tell your, and, and shout out, mama, please come help me because you now have the tools to help yourself. So first M you've is- in, You've uh, been empowered by Micah. Right. So make time to listen, acknowledge, and if necessary, if called for, apologize. And this means that you sense the customer uh, thinks an apology is called for, not necessarily that you feel like giving one. Then the third step is, is another M, and that's a meeting of minds. You and the customer, you find out what the customer thinks they want, and you pair that with what you can actually do. And all that's left is the last A, which is act. And then that's, you take care of it. Anyone that you uh, subbed it out to, that you delegated it to, you make sure that they acted and then you're done. Because that, just to start with that part, I have found that that is almost, make, it exacerbates things when you say you're you're going to do something and then you don't follow through, right? Absolutely. Um, and you probably you know, wouldn't. The, the owner's going to get back to you by tomorrow to address this with you, or we're going to send you this, or we're going to, and then you don't do it. That pisses me off even more as right. a customer. So, so at that meeting, of that's exactly right. So at that meetings of mind state, you want to get to two things by the end of the, that discussion, uh, what you're going to do and by when, right? What you're going to do by when. So maybe I'm not going to solve this by Thursday, but by Thursday, I will have a definitive answer for you for what we can do about this lost shipment. 
Yeah. So, so you have those two things and then maybe you're not in charge of tracking down lost shipments, but you delegate it to someone else, um, to Aubrey, let's say. And so now Aubrey is working on tracking this down and, but still you took the complaint, so you own it. So, uh, but when Thursday rolls around, you need to check with Aubrey that this has actually happened and that Aubrey's actually done what, what you promised to the guest. And then you ideally get back to the guest because you probably had a bonding situation at the beginning when you guys were uh, hashing this out. I love this formula. This is very actionable. It really resonates with me, especially the acknowledge part, because I was going to say before you walk through that, that I have found that often, not always, often people just want to be heard. They want you to listen to this experience that they had. And again, going back to what we talked about earlier, they probably feel genuinely that that something went wrong. They're not trying to always scam you. Yes, there are some people that are, but by and large, that's how they felt or that's how they received it or that was the experience that they had. So acknowledging it goes a long way, doesn't it? Exactly. And so this is really an important step. And a lot of us don't do it because we're very good problem solvers. We're very good problem solvers. The moment they start talking, you know how to solve this um, often. And so you start interrupting them. You say something horrible, like, well, let me stop you right there. Say that. No, that's such a good point. I have a tendency to do that because I'm a problem solver. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna fix it for you, but that's not what they they want to express it first. They want to share their their anger or their frustration first, and then we can arrive at a resolution, right? Exactly. Okay. There are exceptions. Often the exceptions are business to business. And there are exceptions. These exceptions are often in business to business where they're in the same field as you. They kind of know what can be done, what can't be done. They're really right. in a hurry. But those, I believe, are the exceptions. By and large, they want Correct. to be acknowledged. And if you do this terrible, terrible thing, which is get defensive, then that is the opposite of acknowledging. If you say, let me stop you right there, and our people would never have done that, and clearly you didn't get the situation right, uh, you didn't, you've, you've, you're mis-describing uh, the situation. It's much better if you say, oh, wow, no. And then, and then you say, later on, you can say, well, possibly what Jen, what Jerry meant to convey was that you would get that delivery before 10 a.m. Monday through Friday, but he wasn't thinking that you meant a Sunday delivery. And then, you know, if they're an honest person, they can look back on the discussion and say, well, yeah, I think that's what happened. If I, if I'm looking to start implementing some of these practices, I got to read the book. Again, the, the book is entitled, Can Your Customer Service Do This? by Micah Solomon. But where do you recommend people start? As a business owner, where do I start to implement this approach to customer service? What do you recommend as a starting point? If you're listening to this and you haven't uh, turned it off, then you have already started. Because the first step is to make the decision. And the decision is, am I going to put the customer at the center of what I do? That's the decision. Once you've made the decision, and by the way, people, this does not mean you're not also putting the employees at the center. That is a way that my advice could be taken wrong, and that is not my goal here. But put the customer at the center. So that's the decision. Once you've made the decision, you just have to figure out what that means, at which point you can uh, listen to Henry's podcast. You can listen to it over and over because I probably gave away a bunch of my secrets. You can look in my book for more of my secrets. Uh, I also write for Entrepreneur. And then you need to implement and you need to implement in a way that's realistic. So one thing I mentioned in the book is that I find this commitment to writing handwritten notes to every customer is something that businesses commit to, and then it just isn't going to happen. So I recommend that you not do that. So try to do something that is realistic. The other problem with writing handwritten notes, it is very powerful if you do it. The number one thing is that when you get busy, you're going to stop doing it. The number right. two reason is that there's no easy response mechanism, right? A customer gets this great note and there's no easy way to respond, right? They don't have the wax to seal their own hand or address thing and send it back to you. Whereas if you send them a really nice email, uh, they can reply back and the chain is unbroken. Got it. 
That makes sense. Well said. I couldn't agree with you more. Very succinctly put, and I, I love it. I, I've always believed that it starts at the top, as I say. So you as the owner have to believe in this. If you are just going to, if I don't embrace it as the owner and I just kind of delegate this as a project or the latest hot thing, it'll fail because we don't really believe in it as a culture and as a business owner. It's got to start at the top and then just implement these things and, and realize that you're going to have to, you're going to have to experiment with some of these things and it's not always going to go smoothly. Right. So what you just said is the most important thing. So this is why if you are in a Disney park, you will see people even wearing suits sometimes uh, using their, you know, they have a special way that you clean up trash, but they'll stop what they're doing and they will do that. Why are they doing that? Not because it makes a huge difference in the amount of trash that's cleaned up, but because it models this behavior. What you want is to be modeling this behavior and then it will catch on on its own through a wonderful principle, a wonderful uh, phenomenon, which I call, and I took this from a woman, uh, a, a writer who wrote a book on this, and it is called Positive Peer Pressure. So when you walk into an Apple store, Everyone not only knows about the technology, but they have a particular attitude that they are expressing. Now, part of this is because they are well-trained. Part of it is because they have a great support system. And part of it is because they have realized that this is the way we do things around here. If you are the one grouchy kind of dragging your heels person there, you're going to stand out like a sore thumb. Whereas at other businesses, that's the norm. And the one perky person uh, is the one who's going to look like the freak, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And a good culture will squeeze that person that doesn't fit out, good or bad. A bad culture will squeeze a good person out. So yes, absolutely. That's what I've seen as well, Micah. All right. The book that we've been talking about, which is available, uh, if you're listening to this episode, when it first gets released, is available for pre-order on Amazon, but it'll be available soon. Can Your Customer Service Do This by Micah Solomon. I'll have a link to it on the show notes page, as well as to the other book that you mentioned, The E-Myth. The E-Myth is the number one most recommended book on my show, uh, as you might suspect. Great book. Uh, so let's wrap it up with this last couple of questions, Micah. What, what's one thing you want us to take away from a business, a small business owner's perspective on delivering customer service? What's, what's one thing from this conversation you want us to take away? It's much more of an opportunity than it is a cost. And if you're a small business, you probably can figure out the few people who are uh, taking advantage of you in a way you don't want to be taken advantage of. Uh, now, sometimes people take ask for a little more, and that's just how they are. I will tell you the other day, I had a great live chat with someone at um, Amazon. And just as a joke, uh, she said, I mean, she she wasn't checking. She, she said, is there anything else I could do for you? And I said, well, you know, this has kind of been a hassle. Maybe you could send me an extra of whatever the product was. And it was a very inexpensive product. It's not going to make Mr. Bezos have to sell off any of his stock. She said, I'll see what I can do. And she did actually send it. So some wow. customers, I know, I know. And that's not usually going to happen, right? But I just thought I would see what happened. So some customers will do that just because that's how we are. It doesn't mean, and the thing is, those are the most actually promising customers for your business because they'll try the same thing somewhere else and it's not going to happen, right? But if it happens at Henry's business, then they're going to keep coming back. So it's more of an opportunity than it is a risk, than it is a cost center. Love it. Absolutely agree. Tell us uh, where you want us to go online to learn more about you and about the services that you offer. Unless you're a biblical scholar, it's a little tricky to spell my website, though I will tell you, I have, I have also purchased every misspelling I could think of. But here's the right way to spell it. It's micasolomon.com, M-I-C-A-H-S-O-L-O-M-O-N.com. There are no O's in Solomon. And write it down unless you're driving, in which case, just Google me. You'll find me. Yep. And we'll have a link to it as well on the show notes page of the howabusiness.com. The only thing I didn't get to ask you to that I want to go back to is just favorite color. Briefly, some, well, what is your favorite color? <laughs> I don't think I have one. It looks like today, <laughs> looks today. Neither like do green, I. You know, growing though. up, I never had a favorite color nor a favorite number. And I was a weirdo for that, but I never did. I just didn't understand that. Well, entrepreneurs, their favorite color has to be black, right? And their least favorite color has to be red. Good point. I love that. 
or green and, and in red. Um, red is bad. Um, <laughs> tell me just briefly, you do you obviously besides the book, you offer training services and first customer service, but just highlight that. Tell me what it is that you offer for your clients. Okay. So if you are a micro business, you probably want to learn all this from my book and do it, do it yourself until the point where you've gotten so big that you can hire me. However, the ideal way to start a micro business, in my opinion, is while you're still working for the man, right? But the man's still paying your, your and of course the man is often a woman, but while the corporation is still paying your benefits. So if that is the case, then recommend me to your boss, because if you are bigger than a micro business, I am the person and we are the team to come in and consult, help you establish your standards for how to talk on the phone, how to write an email, and also to do the training for you. And often the training will be in-person live, but just as often these days, I will create an e-learning product for you. And this is great because number one, it can be used now. Number two, it can be studied asynchronously if you run different shifts and so forth. Not everyone has to be in the same room. And number three, uh, employees, there is turnover, right? You're the only person who's, you know, you're committed to it. You're not going to ever leave unless you sell your business. Um, and then then you probably won't leave as soon as you should. There's this great quote from John le Carre, uh, who's written so many, late great John le Carre, has written so many books. Many of them have been turned into movies. And what he said about that process, it's the same thing as uh, someone buying your business. It is watching your book being turned into a movie is like watching your oxen being turned into bullion cubes. <laughs> but unless I know, so that is so true. You poor, your poor oxen and your poor business owner. So you're probably going to stick around, but other employees will come and go, but you'll still have the e-learning that I created for you. You can use it as you grow. You can build it into your onboarding and you can use it for future employees. Excellent. All right. Great stuff. Uh, Micah, this has been a different conversation, but a good one. And so I appreciate it. <laughs> different from what? <laughs> I don't know. It was uh, kind of akin to trying to herd cats at a circus kind of thing, but it was wonderful. It was good. It was good, though. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> we went off on tangents, which were good, and you gave us some actionable stuff, which is what I'm always looking for. I think your book is great, and I'm passionate about this topic of customer service, but... Um, but yes, you're a character, and I love that about you. Thanks again. Uh, this is Henry Lopez. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Micah Solomon. I release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including my YouTube channel and my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.